to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay and I'm flying solo this week, a special mid-week episode. So before we go to our special guests, I just want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of The Bestseller Experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than just a grammar checker. It's a style editor, writing mentor, all in one bundle. And what's more, it works with Scrivener. Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you lot out there. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Get your discount today over at prowritinga.com forward slash bestseller. And the other thing we are very, very excited about is the BXP 2020 challenge. Now, do you want 2020 to be your best writing year ever? Do you want to write and finish a book? you want to create a lifetime writing habit? Then get involved. We're challenging you to write 200 words a day, every day in 2020. If you do that, you're going to have a novel by the end of the year, before the end of the year. You are going to smash it. So get involved. Go over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash BXP 2020 for more details. Look for the hashtag, hashtag BXP 2020, and you'll find more details there. Now onto this special midweek episode and another one of our listeners is an award winner. This is just blowing us away. More and more of our listeners are getting deals and winning awards and it's just incredible news. So I heard about the Comedy Women in Print Award via Kirsty Eyre, who was inaugural winner of the Unpublished Award for her novel Cowgirl, which received a publishing deal from HarperCollins and a £5,000 advance. It's coming in summer 2020. Comedy Women in Print was the brainchild of Helen Lederer, author and comedy legend. I remember from shows like Naked Video and Ab Fab, and she's just amazing. And she's a real inspiration. So I went to HarperCollins, I went to HQ Towers, and we all gathered together. I'm, you're going to hear three voices. You're going to hear Helen Lederer, you're going to hear Martha Ashby, who's editorial director at Harper Books, and you're going to hear Kirsty Eyre. And they're going to be talking about the award, how it came about, what kind of books they're looking for, and the future of the awards, and how you can get involved for next year. So let's jump in now with Comedy Women in Print and Helen and Martha and Kirsty. Helen, Martha and Kirsty, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today? Really good, thanks, Mark. Really excited to be here. Wonderful stuff. Helen, comedy legend. Mm. Um, tell us with that, obviously. Tell us about Comedy Women in Print. How did this all come about? So it came about as an idea five years ago, and I think that was when my comedy novel, Losing It, was published. And I always say, I looked around for an award to win like you do, and there wasn't one. But I had been nominated for the P.G. Woodhouse Comedy Literary Award, and uh, this is probably not the right statistics, but I'm just making this up, but it's sort of like this, okay? That in 17 years, only three women won. But somebody will write in and say that's not actually correct. Interestingly, uh, since Quip has happened first year last year, Interestingly, four women were shortlisted for the P.G. Woodhouse Literary Prize this year. But I have a very friendly camaraderie because they did nominate me, and I do mention that, didn't win it. Um, Nina Stib- Stibber. How do you pronounce Stibber? Martha, you have to... 
Stibby, I think. <laughs> She's probably listening to and this going, that's to not this. how you say my name. <laughs> Nina, I love Sorry, Nina. Nina. We're apologising. I just did that. And so she and I were both nominated at the same time and then thankfully she won last year. But it was interesting because the best ideas are the simplest ideas. So when I put this out I and I, I thought there is no comedy literary prize for women. And so... Because everyone went yes, I suppose if I was in advertising, I would have thought I'd stumble on something. That, so I had to take it forward. And so five years of obsession last year, thanks totally to Martha Ashby, Harper Fiction, you know, we added more and more to the pot. And so it does both nurture unpublished writers and celebrate published writers. And now year three, we're celebrating humorous graphic novels as well so I'll stop now for a brief period but that's how it came about and there's never I don't think I've ever met anyone saying this is a rubbish idea no I think it's a great idea and I think there's this assumption that comedy is somehow less important or easier to do than serious fiction. Com- comedy's hard, isn't it? Really hard, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's funny, Kirsty and I were talking about this just as we were on our way here. It's very hard to say that a book is comedy because comedy is so subjective, isn't it? And I was saying, as an editor, when I publish a book, I would never describe it as comedy. I might describe it as hilarious or humorous or funny or witty. I'd probably never use the word comedy because it just places such a great expectation on it. Whereas using some of those other descriptives, I think it kind of leaves room for somebody to say, well, I didn't find this funny, <laughs> which which is the case. And we did find this when we went through the, you know, the 250 entries that we had is that some people found some stuff utterly hilarious and some people said, well, I didn't find that funny at all or I found that really irritating or so we were working through that as well, but trying to find those novels that stepped above that and stepped beyond just a very tight definition of comedy to kind of encompass something more as well. And we found so many brilliant writers, but the best of all was obviously Kirsty and Cowgirl, and it just stood out from the crowd. Kirsty to win, as, as Martha rightly says, with all those entries all of whom, all of which, were so varied. That's what we found in the judging meeting. It got quite heated, obviously, but more so with comedy. You are not going to agree. I might not be other people's cup of tea. And in fact, I know I'm not, which kills me. But, you know, I I know what is authentically funny and what isn't, just as an instinct. But on the page, you're going through another layer again. And that's why I think we, as much as anything, celebrate the individual comic female author now. And I think we've achieved that. We're no longer grouping people together. Mm. We're doing a lot more than we think we are. But I want to ask, Kirsty, did you set out to write your book as a comedy? I mean, what was in your mind when you started writing it? Yeah, so I always knew that it was a romantic comedy. But as Martha said, you have to be careful how you pitch comedy in that what you're hailing as funny might not be funny to somebody else or what you think's hilarious isn't funny to somebody else but what I would say is when I was looking around for competitions to enter because as first-time authors quite often when you're working towards pitching to an agent you want to be able to quote something that makes you look a bit more credible so I was after a competition that I would hopefully get on the long list for and when I looked around they're heavily literary the odd commercial one lots of short stories but there was nothing 
focused on comedy itself that recognised mm. comedy as a craft, which it really, really is, mm. until Comedy Women yeah. in Print came along. <laughs> and then good. I saw Helen shining like a beacon of hope on Twitter with the hashtag CWIP quip, and the rest is history. Yeah. But I'm so glad you, you say that because it, it, um, it has not been easy at all. I'm a writer-performer. I'm not an administrator to actually get all the pillars together. And once... Martha contacted me. Once Harper Fiction were in the bag, I knew that was a turning point. The turning point was Marion Key's support because people need, whatever you say, people need celebrities, people need names, people need to identify that somebody else has given this their endorsement that they respect. And then once Harper Fiction was... But I would want to ask Kirsty this. You say you started out as a romantic novel because there is the RNA Award, which is I've had to present those as well, tried to do a witty speech, of course. But What's interesting is this is why it's going forward, because the assumption, perhaps, that women writers can be funny with romance attached, that's not against your uh, book at all. It is nice to be able to go, obviously, romance, sex, interest, tension is part of comedy, but it's quite nice to not have us tag that or, or embrace that because that's the only way we're allowed to be funny if we're romantic. So it is so exciting to think that we've evolved. Sure, romance, bring it on, but we're not dependent on that. For me, I think that was really clear, actually, when we had our our full list of entries and our, then our long list and our short list is there were a lot of different kinds of funny fiction in there. So there were rom-coms, there were books about kind of... Um, people discovering a second life after a divorce, like a little bit older and so on. Um, stories that didn't centre around a romantic kind of mm. arc, as it were. And it was really refreshing to see, as Helen rightly says, like how many different forms of comedy there were and how, I mean, it sort of seems obvious, like how wide and varied all these women were writing and what the things they were writing about. Exactly. So you've got to connect with the with the subject matter and then around, you know, Harper Fiction sifted all the entries so that we had the, the 12 long list. And with the... I maintained near one that I wasn't going to read anything because I got really scared every time I saw an author and so ran for the hills because then I think, oh, my God, I've got to... Do. And that's what Kate Moss does on the Women's Prize. She, you know, she's not the judge. It's really important not to be a judge. But so, therefore, it gave me another insight into looking at how passionate people are about comedy. If you remember, Martha, in the judging room, people had such extreme, definite views, mm. either loved it, either didn't, or hated it, didn't they? Did you all have a bun fight in there? But there, was a, <laughs> there was a kind of moment of bun fight, and it's just, and the you know, you could go back and say any... Any judge construct, you know, what is the best? You know, you're never going to reach the best because nobody's ever going to agree on the best. But what we did do is we had a standard and we celebrated that standard and brought attention to it. Mm. But I don't think, particularly with comedy and in, in, in the published meeting as well, oh, my Lord, really strong comedy practitioners by the very nature, are very strong individuals and they know what works for them. So it's quite uh, quite an interesting terrain, <laughs> I would say. So I, I'm, it's kind of like an insurance thing to say it's not so much as the best because there is no, the best doesn't exist in comedy. It's that group of people arriving at that group of time celebrating that product and that's a beautiful thing. 
Kirsty, tell us about Cowgirl. At what stage were you with the book when you heard about the competition? Had you finished a draft or were you sending it out or were you still working on it? Okay, so once you wrap everything up and then announce that you're the winner of this competition, it makes it sound everything sounds so easy, but it wasn't. <laughs> so it took me the best part of three years crafting Cowgirl. Originally, I'd written it as a diary format and then gone on the Curtis Brown Creative course and got advised oh. that probably I shouldn't be sticking to a journal format <laughs> in this, this day and age. Oh. So then that involved a long rewrite, but I had got a full draft in terms of the full shebang, ready to go when the entries came out. Sorry, that didn't make sense. When your deadlines ideal, a full draft is probably what we all would go for on balance. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, my book wasn't originally called Cowgirl. Yeah, so Cowgirl is a, it's my first ever novel. First of all, so it's very exciting, and it's a romantic comedy, and it's essentially about a thirty-something-year-old scientist. She's a lesbian. She's called Billy. And she has to ditch her London life to go and run her dad's dairy farm when he gets ill. So she has to battle against misogyny, homophobia and all sorts of preconceptions to eventually win over the farming community who will end up dubbing her as the cowgirl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so many original elements and intelligence and ingredients of a contained novel with a resolution. I mean, that's sort of tidying it up. But would you agree, Martha? I mean, yeah. lots of jokes about cows, weren't there? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. original. Original. Yes. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that um, really made Cowgirl stand out for us as well, was the originality and the freshness and the this, this like, little world of, like, do you know what? I'm going to write about dairy farming in Yorkshire. Like, <laughs> if you'd asked me what kind of book I wanted out of this prize, I probably wouldn't have specified dairy farming in Yorkshire. Obviously, as a proud northerner myself, I'm absolutely delighted that <laughs> Kirsty is also a northerner, also grew up just outside Sheffield, I yeah. think, which oh, is I'm where I'm from. And, <laughs> and so, for, like, that ticks some of, like, my own personal boxes. Um, but also, just this fully formed world that you could step into as a reader just really stood out from the crowd. I mean, there were some absolutely brilliant entries and we did have a bit of wrangling over... In fact, our second place entry, there was a lot of wrangling over over that because there were some brilliant... It was just so hard to choose. But Cowgirl was, I think, almost from the first meeting, was our runaway... Yeah. Um, what I would like to know is how it is now for you working, uh, because obviously that book's going to be published in time for... Quip year two winners event. So what is it like to then have that winning hat and now you're not deconstructing it, but have it edited? What's that process like? So I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be in this building with you guys now <laughs> talking to Helen and Martha and Mark. It's been amazing. So we're now at the stage where we've gone through the developmental edit, we've gone through the, correct me if I'm wrong, Martha, but the line edit, and now we're on to the copy edit. <gasps> so it's been very, very exciting working together with Martha. But the other thing that the, the prize really helped me with was getting a literary agent in the first place. So I'm delighted to say I'm represented now by Felicity True from the Caroline Sheldon Agency. Wow. And... Yeah, it's been really fun. And the most fun thing recently has been a sneak preview at the cover that could potentially sit on This Cal is Cal. everyone's dream. Yeah. Everyone's dream. You're and saying like, all the things it that is. everyone dreams about. Yeah, yeah. And it's unreal having your book there with your name on it and 
something that I probably didn't envisage in the first place, but it looks spectacular, so it's very exciting. Well, what were you envisaging when you did your first draft? Because I know you listened to the podcast. Yeah. What was in your mind when you were writing? What were your goals? Were you thinking, well, maybe send out to agents, maybe self-publish? What, what were your aims? So I looked into self-publishing quite deeply as well and looked at all about how much work you have to do in terms of metadata and self-marketing and back-scratching each other in terms yes. of authors. I don't know where I was going with that one. Though. We're all like apes picking fleas. Yeah. I would jump in here because the anxiety of anyone publishing a book, whether it's self-published or not, the anxiety starts That's of, of selling it because you can't just be an author and then just go back. You've got to, yeah. would you not say? Well, I think more so in, in self-publishing, and which I think is a great route for a lot of people. I think you just have to be aware when you start down that road is that you have to be every single person in that yeah. equation. Obviously, even as a traditionally published author, you, there's going to be a huge amount of self-promotion and, as Helen says, selling your own work. But to do self-publishing is to be your editor, your designer, your salesperson, your marketeer, your uh, e-book Right. Yes. How, what's, how are ebooks made? What, what, what do we call the person that makes ebooks? Your type, your typesetter, your 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 text designer, absolutely everything. And I think it's really easy to think like, oh well, I've got a word document. Like I'll just, you know, you could yes, you could convert. I mean, I don't obviously publish ebooks or self-publish, but you know, there's so many different elements of that. And then you've got to then be the first person who sells your book every time as well. Whereas with a traditional publishing model, you've got you know. Kirsty's not not having to sit in a corner and scribble on a bit of paper to design her jacket. We've got an in-house designer who is fantastic and has done a jacket that made me and our entire uh, publishing team go, oh, yes, 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 that's the one. (laughs) I've seen it. That's made me want to see it. I mean, it is exciting and it's deserved, um, clearly, but uh, because there was a debate about Quip, Um, having a category of self-published at one point. I mean, Quip is going to grow and one wants to kind of engage with all those witty authors and there are clearly many, many witty authors out there but nothing must take away from, you know, you work really hard. You said that for three years you've been working on this so it's it's not a hobby. So you... I hope you are enjoying this. Oh, I'm absolutely loving it. It's been an absolute privilege, yeah. The only thing I would say as well is, you know, when you refer to us as witty women and all this, mm. it puts quite a lot of pressure on yourself yes. to be funny. And yeah. then you turn yeah. up to something like this and you're just talking deadpan about But we're not being funny. Thinking... <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it, here's a, it's funny, isn't it, when you... Um, what Martha was saying earlier about trying to define wit on the page. And there was, once I was invited to go and do open book, but Mariella wasn't there, she was too busy. So I had to record it with the producer. And the brief was, you know, define what is wit on the page. And uh, and then, because wit, when it's not on the page, is interactive, it's nuanced, it's like you can, you're, you're getting stuff from the audience to influence or even your timing. So it's totally without that. And I read my stuff out and the producer didn't completely... And then she was editing and I was saying, oh, my God, we're here to talk about something funny. It's all being edited. Um, and it was... It is it is a really complex, layered thing about wit on the page. Maybe the exciting thing is we should all agree is you can't define it. No, you you know it. To it. There's a craft yeah. to it, but also you know it. I find when people are derivative, my thing would be, I've seen that before, you're trying too hard, 
but I find that with people as well. You go, that's not authentic. Whatever, mm. whatever communicates lack of authenticity, that, that's not a crime. I mean, it's people trying to get on, so it, it's totally understandable. We we probably all do it, but in terms of eliciting a connection with the reader or the audience member, then you've got a barrier, would you say? But yeah. it's interesting you say it's a craft. I say it's a craft in its own right, and also it's all about tone, isn't it? Because I could pitch exactly the same story as somebody else who's written it from a very serious point of view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's all it's just keeping that tone consistent. So I might use observational comedy mm. in the way that somebody else, it might be all about the, the one-liners in dialogue. Yes. But there is going to be a, a tone that needs to stick throughout the length of your novel. So I would say it's tone. Okay. Well, Martha knows all about tone. So has Martha been very strict with you? Has, she, has it been very painful when she goes, right, you've got to lose that paragraph? Do you know what? I was, <laughs> I was expecting worse, if I'm not oh, honest. Oh, yeah. you're doing well, Martha. Yeah. She's saying you're a soft touch. Yeah. So there was a bit um, where I had to lose a chunk from the opening and yep. get to the dairy farm earlier. Yep. And I was thinking... It's a bit like not so much being precious about your words, but more thinking if I unpick this, then it all unravels yeah. later on, and that's God, a setup. Yeah. So if I remove that whole thing, then that, that subplot needs to be lost altogether. That's um, hard. And it, it was tough, but then I think it works for the better, and it's a leaner, meaner machine as a result of it, I think. That's so interesting because you do need, like they say, don't they, your relationship with your editor is everything you've got to trust them they they say Jeffrey Archer without an editor for Jeffrey I mean you need not that I don't know why I'm pulling him in here I'm not pulling <laughs> alas I'm not pulling in or mercifully I'm not pulling him at all but um but it but it's like the um the the edit the edit is everything but you have to do that journey you have to do you had to do what you had to do yeah. to get to where you are for the reader to get it. I also think it ended up being the perfect match, though, that Martha is from Sheffield and knew about the places that I was writing about. So there's one particular note that she put on there, and I put something about, and correct me if I'm wrong, the A61. I'm there in a cattle cruiser going through fog, and you're writing something in the margin. Martha's left me a note saying, are you approaching this southbound or northbound? Will you be pulling in off the ring road into yes. the decathlon car park? Yes. Thought, wow, she's on it. Yeah. And things matter. You get I letters. Love, yeah. I love that note. Uh, that that should be the title of your next book. Are you pulling in here <laughs> southbound? And you don't know. But that, that, those notes are classic, aren't they? And then you, don't you start to think of them, because I hate authority figures. Um, um, you go, oh, it's like a teacher. And you go, oh, I won't swear, but, oh, you know, it, it's like you have to keep batting off those questions in red. Did you feel that sometimes? You know, you've got to address each question. Yeah, most of the time they were just really helpful and it was normally that there was some sort of clunk yes. that, that oh, I did have to work through. But really it was more things like embellish this a little bit, get a bit more out of it. Oh, I yeah, milk that comedy scene if you want the milk. But you have to really oh, good <laughs> yeah. milk thing. But you really—that's where you really, really have to trust your editor. Yeah. Because another person, if they said embellish this or elongate that, and it wasn't the right thing, oh my god, then you've you've lost your reader. Yeah. So the, the trust is so important as yeah. well when you're writing blind at home. In your mind, it's playing out as you envisage it, but there's also points in your novel where you are going to have to think about pace in terms of like either speeding up or slowing down and there are areas in which you think that you've written that scene right through to the end but then someone with a fresh pair of eyes will look at it mm. and think oh, no 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 you're at like six out of ten on this and you could get ten out of ten if you just 
filled that up, and I've, I've got never, another thousand <laughs> words out of it. But yeah. how lovely! This is a team. This is great that we're all in the room with your podcast, Mark, because you just go. It was a night. My idea, because I wanted a prize. This was for the published prize, not the unpublished prize. And then somehow, somehow getting it to this place, and now going into year two, which is different again. Uh, where is my life? It's on hold. But, <laughs> um, but I don't think I should stop. Yeah, exactly. Who needs a life anyway? Mm. I don't think I should stop because I think Quip could develop. Mm. Can you both? Can you all agree that Quip could develop? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just think to stop after year one would be wrong yeah. because. It's like, but it's also like doing a second novel, isn't it? So, you know, the goodwill yeah. and the team together on year one was amazing. But uh, year two, I think year two will really cement it and then it will be part of the landscape. So everyone from year one is part of year two. The continuum is really important. And Kirsty represents that continuum. She's our first person who's been published by Martha Harper Fiction. So you've got to turn up at that women's event. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let, let, let's let's talk about the award. So, in year one, you had a published award and an unpublished award, which is what you won, Kirsty. This year, there's a whole new element with uh, graphic novels. Who wants to talk about that? Well, I I, I I want to develop Quip, and then my dream was I thought, who is the most unsung? We, we've got unpublished, we've got published, and then I was thinking women cartoonists. It's an obvious, it's a no-brainer. Where where are they? And then I learned a bit more that there's a difference with cartoons and humorous comic graphic novels. It's a mouthful, and it's a kind of whole trendy genre that I. I am not an expert on, but it's a growing area. And I thought for year two, let's embrace the least sung and then move forward after that or indeed capitalise on what we've done. I mean, the, the most unsung were unpublished witty authors. So we're now in the swim with that. We're covering that. Published mustn't be forgotten because published female witty authors still aren't celebrated and that was where you started of course as well exactly started there and I just thought it was an opportunity to include and demonstrate that we are going forward so I think graphic novels well Posey Simmons you think of but mm. it's just another way of telling a story and there are many sort of tragic graphic novels by women and there's this little gold nugget of humorous comic graphic novels so you know have you got a female graphic comic? Um, <laughs> I can't even spit that out. I know. Uh, on the judging panel. Uh, well, if you've got any suggestions, I, I've gone into association with this amazing organisation called Ladies Do Comics. So once you start something, again, another new thing. I wanted to demonstrate that women's organisations that have to be competitive and are competitive, and I'm a comedian, so I come from a very competitive world where it's quite difficult to be friends and cooperative and that's just true in my generation so I was really excited to reach out to other women who do something and do it and be friends <laughs> so we're friends so the ladies who do comics are Nicola Streeton who runs that will be one of the judges but we're building it now so if anybody's got any ideas or passions then this is the time because we're about to go out with big announcements about judges and it's a 
it's a very exciting time now to go forward. Yeah, because submissions are open at the moment, aren't they? They are, Kirsty, and I don't want you to be jealous about all the other talented people <laughs> that are coming up. But, yeah, they're open now and the window closes at the end of February and um, we can't wait. And I think in the poster I did, just don't overthink it. Would you agree with that? Don't overthink it is a good slogan mm. to, to encourage people to just send them. Yeah. It's um, absolutely two I chapters, think, isn't it? And then really and then... nerve-wracking to let go of your baby. And I think a lot of us authors tend to hang in there until the deadline, thinking that we will tweak and tweak and tweak and refine uh, up until that deadline. But really, I would say you're playing the long game here. Yes. And instead of polishing that first five thousand words, you need to have a bit of self-belief and start thinking about your full manuscript. So send off the yeah the first five thousand. Oh, just send it off and spend more time. On the because uh, uh, you've then got the um, the luxury of polishing the rest, and it's to I think that because Harper Fiction we we will know, won't you, mm. Martha? You will know, and then you've got the luxury of an edit. It's just if it's good enough, and I'm sure it is, get it get it to us now. There will be women listening to this thinking. <gasps> I could be like Kirsty next year. <laughs> I could be doing this. I could be at the award ceremony. Um, what are your top tips for anyone thinking of entering this year? I could think of a few. I think trying to find your own voice and be original in your writing, I think, because those are the ones that stand stood out for us, definitely. Um, I mean, we had all sorts of subject matters, so wide and varied, and the ones that felt truly original were the ones that really made you sit up and pay attention. I think from what Kirsty was saying about tidying your work and polishing it is absolutely true because you can, yeah, if you polish the first 5,000 words, brilliant, but if you then send in the rest of the manuscript and it's an absolute mess, it's probably not going to progress much further, so definitely polish. And also have have it finished when you submit because we did actually we when we did the long listing we had a couple of reserves because we just thought oh, just in case and we it was lucky we had them because one person pulled out because they'd got a publishing deal in the interim which was oh. obviously fantastic and then a second person pulled out because they hadn't got their manuscript ready and I don't know whether they thought oh well I'll just give give it a go and maybe I'll write the rest in the week between finding out I'm on the long list and Having because I think it is literally a week between us announcing the long list and you submitting your right. full novel, and this poor lady hadn't done it. And then my final thing would be to believe in yourself and believe that you are worthy of being a entry, worthy of trying, and worthy of winning as well. Absolutely, all very good advice, Kirsty. You were at the awards night last year. I've seen photos of you with legends such as Helen. Yeah. There's a picture of you, Jilly Cooper, and she's whispering into your ear. She is. She's telling me a very bawdy joke, which I probably can't repeat on your podcast. But uh, yeah, she's absolutely brilliant, really down to earth, and uh, straight in there with the jokes. So, did you imagine when you first started writing Cowgirl that you'd be sharing bawdy jokes with Jilly Cooper? Absolutely not. I must admit, I was a bit starstruck the whole evening of Comedy Women in Print. So we were in a basement um, speakeasy bar in Mayfair, which, well, <laughs> speakeasy bars and I are not natural bedfellows in the first place. And I was a bit worried that I've got a ladder in my tights or my knickers in my hair where I <laughs> held it up in a hair bubble. Um, but no, it was absolutely brilliant. And I was kind of uh, stargazing, if you like, thinking, ooh, there's Marion Keys and ooh, 
There's Stanley Tucci and all, all these celebs dotted around um, having a nice pink gin at the bar with my fellow shortlistees. And we were having a really good chat about everything. But, yeah, Jilly was amazing, I should say. Fantastic. And what's coming from you next after Cowgirl? That's a really good question because I was just talking to Martha about this earlier. So... As we mentioned, there are many different types of comedy and I'd like my next comedy to be a tragic comedy about mm. three sisters called The Goddesses of Barnsley. Mm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> what a title. Yeah. Oh, I can see that happening. I can see that happening. And what I'm, this is not to take away from it, but because you've deservedly got a platform now, uh, the, the rest will follow. I mean, that is, that's what Quip has achieved that rightly you have a platform to go to your second novel. So many people don't get there. Their deserved novels don't even get to their first stage. It's an absolutely brilliant opportunity, but it will be a bit like that second tricky album to write. And then I know that, and maybe there are courses. Maybe we should set up a course for that. I mean, I don't want to feel that about Quip 2, because Quip Year 2, because I'm thinking if I see Quip 1, not as a pilot, but just to, to gauge the barometer of support and interest and that was proven to be so a quick year two is going to have it's like quick two is going to have different elements like move it forward that's why we've got the graphic novels in as well different people although marion keys is very still with us and julie cooper will have to come back to the event i mean and i i got to go to her summer party by the way ladies and men yeah i went to her beautiful summer party in an idyllic place on a summer's day with like Canape- not canapes, well, there were some canapes which I hoovered up, obviously, but, you know, what's that thing, like white tenty things? And you, and I, yeah, Marky, and she is, as you describe, she's one of those people who's seen it all, been there, written it, and says just the right thing in your ear that is true. And that, going back to tips for writing that Martha was suggesting, is uh, if it's true, it's going to work. How do we get involved then? Where do we go? What do we do? We go to the Comedy Women in Print website to enter and then you just give me a check and then <laughs> and then you win. It's just, it's that simple. Yeah. It's not true about the check. It's, it's not, not true. true. Check, yeah. You don't have to you don't have to pay. Um, no, but the entry the entries are open online and uh, we want as many people as possible to en- enter again so that we can find some more fantastic winners. Yeah. Wonderful. We will put a link in the show notes folks. Well, Helen Martha, Kirsty, thank you so much for your time today. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Kirsty, best of luck. Got everything crossed for, for Cowgirl. Another one of our listeners with a with a w- award-winning novel and, and a smash it as well. And good luck to all you writers out there. Wonderful. Thank you. Big thank you to Helen, Martha and Kirsty. And just to say again, if you want to get involved, go to comedywomeninprint.co.uk. The deadline is Monday, 2nd of March, 2020. Best of luck and keep letting us know about your your triumphs and your tribulations, your ups and your downs and keep writing and we'll see you in 2020 for the BXP 2020 Challenge. Happy writing. (laughs) 